Romans 10.13 says, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Um, we are in the, the tail end of our Sea Field Do series. And next week is the end of it. And uh, this week we're going to talk, well, we'll talk about some cool stuff. The, the idea and the title is let's get out of our comfort zone. And, um, you know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about our country. I was thinking about how amazing it is to live here. Um, if anybody, has anybody traveled outside the country? It's, it's pretty eye-opening, isn't it? I mean, um, I don't know what it would be like in, say, Greece or anything. I would expect it to be really nice. I've seen beautiful pictures. Um, it's very different when you go to other places. You know, I was in, um, let's see, I was in Rio uh, about 12 years ago. And you have, of course, the gorgeous Copacabana Beach that you're seeing. And then you've got the bluffs and, you know, uh, Christ the Redeemer is up on the mountain. And it's, it's incredibly gorgeous. Uh, but what's interesting and what you don't see is just a few miles away are incredible slums. Things that, that don't look anything like what you're picturing as Rio right now. And I was thinking about how blessed we are as Americans. Because there's no place like this country. There's, there's no place that provides the kind of incredible opportunity that we have here. Um, we are, as a people, people who pursue things. We, we go after things. We generally... Um, are people who don't like obstacles, don't like restrictions. That's just true. Um, foundational in us, I do think that there's something to be said that we started in a revolution. Uh, there is just a little bit of rebel in every American. And what's interesting is that that rebellion in many ways is a good thing. It makes you strive for a more than what you have right now. It, it makes you press into um, maybe uncomfortable areas in order to be able to see new gains, to be able to receive new blessings. And I believe that foundationally, if you look at this country, part of the reason that, that is true is in the, in the establishing document of this nation, in the Declaration of Independence, um, the writer, Thomas Jefferson, penned these words that, that we were free to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that pursuit, for many of us uh, in this country, maybe not personally, but certainly our country as a nation has produced incredible prosperity. They've said that if, if you could reduce the world's population down to 100 people, if you just took a sample size and made it a, a community, 100 people... Um, the 90 people in, in the community would be um, like literally near starvation. And then there would be about five more that would be able to be okay, able to sustain life. And then 
the top three would be ones who hold 90% of the wealth of that entire village, and they'd all be Americans. We are incredibly blessed. And that blessing has come from work. That pursuit of happiness has led us to pursue goals and pursue things. We've got kids right now, this area is less populated because we have some kids go off to college. They are pursuing dreams of becoming more than what they are right now, that they might gain blessing in the future. Americans generally are pursuers. And prosperity has come as the product of our hard work. Late nights and early mornings, these things are the things that are normal for those of us who want to move forward. And at our core, Americans are people, because we pursue happiness, we take risk in doing so. We are risk takers. And when there's no risk to take, we'll create things. That's why they, about 15 years ago, they started what's called the X Games. Anyone know what the X Games are? That was for all, like, the kids. If you were raised by parents who made sure you went out, you know, on your bike and you had, like, a helmet on and elbow pads and knee pads and, you know, like, bubble wrap wrapped around you to make sure that nothing could possibly harm you, you could get into a war with Goliath and you'd come out okay. Um, All those kids got tired of the bubble wrap and the helmets. And they started doing crazy stuff. Like, I saw, like, doing, like, flips with, like, snowmobiles and stupid stuff. Because where there is no risk, Americans, where there is no risk, we create risk. Because we need to be on the edge pursuing after things that push us. More local here, uh, coyote hunting. I've heard is, Ethan, Ethan's informed us that this is pretty pretty on the edge. You feel pretty crazy. feel like, you know, like Gavi was saying, I couldn't hurt, you know, a coyote. He's, oh, yes, you could. <laughs> if you're all freaked out because they're all around you, yeah, you put a hole in one. Because we do create, we create risk if there isn't any. See, but that is true in almost every area of life, except faith. What would happen? What would happen? What would happen if we, as as God's people, began to push ourselves out, take risks, reach out into the unknown, to venture something for God instead of just simply for our blessing or our thrill? I want to say that I believe that, that God would do incredible things. Because I've seen historically that that is true. One man who did that was a man named J. Hudson Taylor. J. Hudson Taylor was a missionary uh, to China in the, uh, the tail end of the 1800s and into the early 1900s. Historian Ruth Tucker said this about him. No other missionary in the 19th century or in 19th centuries since the Apostle Paul has had a wider vision and has carried out a more systematized plan of evangelizing a broad geographical area than Hudson Taylor. J. Hudson Taylor once said this, The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. 
It is a command to be obeyed. Now, if you look at Hudson Taylor's life, it's nothing of, of anything profound. He was born in England, middle class family, wasn't even a Christian until he was 19 years old. Raised in a godly home, raised knowing who Jesus was, knowing what the gospel was, but it never became his. He never owned it until he was 19. But once that happened, he completely became consumed with the idea that there were other people who were lost that needed to find Jesus' Savior. And so in September of 1853, he leaves England, completing his medical studies, and goes to Shanghai, China, arriving in March of 1854, almost six months later. But he wasn't happy with what he saw in the other missionaries. Remember, last week we talked about William Carey, right? William Carey was the first uh, pioneer missionary out of England. And he goes to India, but then he started a whole movement. and People start going to these foreign countries to be missionaries. But Hudson Taylor arrives in Shanghai, and he's completely unhappy with what he finds there because what he finds is what he considered to be worldly missionaries. These are people who uh, lived their lives completely separated from the people they were called to reach. There was a little area, a little rich area of Shanghai that was where all the Westerners lived. That's where the missionaries lived. And they spent all their time, instead of reaching out to people and trying to evangelize people for Jesus Christ, they spent all their time with wealthy merchants and businessmen and ambassadors from England. Translating for them, letting them make progress in their business, making money. And then that allowed them for the missionaries to make their money. They didn't spend any time in the mission work. He later wrote this about them. He said, China will not be won for Christ by quiet, easy-living men and women. Taylor wanted to take the Christian faith to the interior of China. Though that's true, he did work with the missionaries there for several years. He made 18 early preaching tours in Shanghai and brought medical supplies and the skills he had as a doctor. And yet it didn't do anything. He distributed literally thousands of pieces of literature for, the Christians, for, for Christian literature for people to read in Chinese. Did nothing. He was poorly received by the people. He was even referred to as the black devil because of the long black overcoat that he wore that was very English but very out of place. In 1860, he returned to England in poor health, but he continued to have just a passion for bringing the millions of Chinese living in the provinces the gospel of Jesus Christ. Provinces where no missionary had ever been before. So in 1865, with great faith but limited financial resources, he founded what was called the China Inland Mission. Its goal was simply this, to preach the gospel in all 18 provinces of China. J. Hudson Taylor said this about his ministry. He said, I have found that there are three stages in every great work of God. First, 
it is impossible. Then it is difficult. Then it is done. Isn't that good? The impact of the China Inland Mission was immediate. They began with a group of 22 missionaries, including the tailors. The mission grew rapidly in numbers and outreach from that point forward. But the reason why, hear this, the reason that it began to grow, the reason that they began to see results is because Taylor stamped his own philosophy of life into the China Inland Mission. Their sole dependence, they, they went from being supported missionaries, they literally went and became solely dependent on God financially. They would not take guaranteed salaries. There was no guaranteed salary for a missionary. They trusted God. They closely identified with the Chinese in their way of life. They were non-denominational in their, in their Bible faith. And they emphasized spreading the gospel as widely as possible through all of China. You have to understand that at this time, this may all sound very basic right now. At this time, this was all cutting edge. This was flying in the face of the way missions have been done, you know, for so long. It had only been 15 years since William Carey had left. But when you look at the China Inland Mission, they made the decision to adopt native Chinese dress and clothing. They even shaved off the hair of their forehead and grew a long ponytail on the back. It was scandalous. All these white dudes walking around looking like Chinese people. But what happened was that the Chinese people saw that, that these people were trying to get out of their space and get into the Chinese space. They wanted to begin to relate to the people where they were. It wasn't enough to just simply talk about doing something and then living in the nice quiet corridors of the missionary compound on the rich side of town. They were fitting in with the Chinese. And because of that, the mission took off. God started moving. Instead of it being that he was the black devil in his large black overcoat that was from England, he came in as one of them, began to speak to them as a brother, at living in their own villages and talking to them in their way of life. And God started opening up the doors. God used the China Inland Mission. Because where other missionaries were content to remain in their comfort zones and remain ineffective and unproductive, Jason Taylor and his missionaries stepped out into the unknown and reached all of China with the gospel. By the time... Of J. Hudson Taylor's death in 1905. I want you to hear this. This is so cool. Inland China Mission was an international missions body. It had 825 missionaries in several countries. There were more than 300 missionary outposts. More than 500 local Chinese missionaries had joined them. After having been reached by J.S. and Taylor and the other missionaries, they came in and were trained and went out and reached their neighbors, their villages, their areas. Because of that, 25,000 people were brought to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear this. 
after only 40 years of existence, 25,000. It's incredible. But not only had they reached 25,000 people, they had preached and made outposts and had missionaries in all, all 18 provinces of China. I want you to think about that because China is only 3.7 million square miles big. But it happened when one man decided to leave what was comfortable and step into the unknown. Many of you will know that in China today, there's a huge revival. You don't hear about it, obviously, in the news. And despite the persecutions that have come, the missionaries from, from China Inland Mission and others were expelled by the communists in the 1950s. There was severe persecution of the church in the 60s, and many of the churches went underground. But even then, by 1980, they said that the church had grown to 5 to 7 million. Today, today, hear this. Today, there are over 200,000 house churches in China. And they say the Chinese have estimated that there are nearly 50 million Christians in China. And it's largely, hear this guys, it's largely because one guy got out of what was comfortable. I love it that, that, <laughs> that one man can make a difference. One person can make a difference and change the world. That is the legacy of J.S. and Taylor. But what, what will our legacy be? What will it be? Will it be that we have a good church of 500 or 1,000 or 5,000? Is that it? I mean, really. Bradford County has 63,736 people, if I remember correctly. 5,000 doesn't cut it. And we don't have room. We can't build big enough. We don't have enough money to build big enough, to, to build a church large enough to minister the way that we would have to minister. If, if we were to begin to scratch the surface of reaching the people of this area that God wants to reach. So even if we ran, if you came and, and we were killing it as a church and we're, we're, we're making this huge, you know, building and, and we're, we're just, everyone's filing into new life because it's just the cool place to be. If that's the end goal, then you're going to have to look for a new pastor. Because that's not what this is about. We have got to determine that we are going to change this region. That we are going to reach out and that we are going to be the catalyst to seeing people change by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This area is wrecked with drug addiction, People are dying. I've I read recently, like, in the first six months of this year, we had more deaths to drug overdose in the first six months than last year. We are in trouble as an area. And we cannot, we cannot fix it having good church. I'm going to do my best to preach good. We're going to do our best to sing good. We're going to have our best opportunity to move into a move of God and see people free and all those things. But this, this is only the headquarters. This is only base camp. 
We have got to bring people back to get treatment. We've got to bring people back to get free and to get ministered to. But this is just the base that we reach out from. We have got to choose to become uncomfortable. And guess what? That's uncomfortable. (laughs) I was uh, with a friend of mine. I was actually with... I've got a group. You've seen many of them here. They come and visit from Connecticut. And I have a group that we're called, I call us the five. Because we're, um, we're a group that God has linked five guys to. We're just, we're just linked together. One of those guys is a, na- a guy named Edwin Molina. He's a good uh, brother f- out in California. And uh, you'll probably meet him at some point. But he and I were talking, and, and we were all talking actually, over, over some food, Christmas time. And he, he made this statement. He said, it's time for us to execute. And it was like, it was like a rhema word to me. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know what that means, it was like God like, spoke to me. It was like God came down, pointed his finger in my face and said, it's time to execute, David. And that has rung in my soul since the new year. But I believe that it is ringing in my soul not because it's just simply for me, but that God is calling the church to begin to move, and to begin to execute. We have got to determine, hear me, we have got to determine to no longer just accept church as usual. We have got to decide that we're going to get uncomfortable. So we have got to choose to get out of our comfort zone, and that is a challenge because they are so comfortable, right? But God created you with purpose. It's not going to to be realized sitting in the comfort zone of your little comfortable life. Going home to your little comfortable wife or husband and your little comfortable kids. We've got to choose to stretch. Is there risk? Yeah. But more than anything, there's risk if we don't. Do it. Not just for the others, but for us. And so today, I'm just going to take the next few minutes. I want to talk to you about three areas that we need to really understand that we need to get uncomfortable. So there are three levels of uncomfortable I'm going to talk to you about. Those are time, stretch, and heavy lifting. So time is just really easy. This is the easy one in, gang. Time is just time spent in ministry. Next week, right after service, we are having a ministry fair. And we're going to even, we're, we're all going to eat together. We're going to be able to hang out and enjoy each other and just fellowship and all of that. But next week, we're going to have this ministry fair. And we're going to be able to go around and, and see just different ministries. And I want you to understand this one thing. And I don't know how it's been done here in the past. And it doesn't matter because we're going to do it this way from this point forward. You're going to be able to try it out. We're not, we're not saying that you're signed up for life now for children's ministries. Okay? You didn't just sign up for purgatory. For those of you who might feel that way about children's ministry. Um, you are signed up for a six-month period. And if you feel like it's your gig and you want to do it, then do it. And if you don't feel like it's your gig and you feel like you're being called to other things, 
you can go do that. You're, you didn't sign up for life. There's no blood exchanged here. But we want you to be able to try things out because it's a matter of just trying things out that, that you begin to feel maybe what your ministry is. Many of you don't know what your ministry is because you haven't done enough to be able to feel it out. So we're going to give you that opportunity. We need to see that when we do that, when we minister here, that we allow for the home base, for the headquarters of the church to be well-staffed for ministry. For when the people do come who don't know him, when the people, when the family comes that needs healing and freedom in Jesus Christ, that we have ministries that can meet that. Isn't that important? And when we, next week, are signing up for different ministries, you are going to have the opportunity to become part of the force of God in this region, to be able to establish that strong home base where people can come and find healing, and they can see that there is a Savior. So the first one is, is time. You're going to have to get uncomfortable with your time. The second one is stretch. And I love the picture I pulled up for stretch. Look at that guy. I very much on purpose picked like Joe every guy. He doesn't look like this. He's not like this Olympic athlete like stretching so beautifully or this dancer. He's like, no, that's like, that's like everybody in this room stretching. Like, oh, sweet Jesus. And stretch is this. Stretch is to stretch into a new situation that is uncomfortable. It's to put yourself in a place that you're stretching out of what is maybe normal and you're stretching in to be a witness for Jesus Christ. You know what's cool about stretch? Everybody can do it. Everybody can stretch. Even that dude can stretch. He may not like it. And he certainly is not comfortable. But he can stretch. So can you. Stretch just comes from a decision. And I want you to stretch in lifestyle. That means serving God by being the best you can be, wherever that is. Be the best Sunday school teacher you can be. Be the best student that you can be. Be the best athlete that you can be. Be the best employee you can be. Be the best whatever. But the key is this, is to be the best you can be. Hear me on this. I'm not saying that you have to be number one. I'm saying that you have to be the best that you can be. It's not about being the best. It's about being my best. So live it as a lifestyle. Stretch in lifestyle to demand from yourself that you are giving your best wherever you go. Second, stretch to get active where you are. Wherever that would be. If you're a student in high school, if you're a college student, if, you're, if you are you know, a dairy farmer or you are uh, an owner of a business or you are an employee at a company, wherever you find yourself, stretch where you are and tell your story. We talked about this a few weeks ago. I won't spend much time on it. But I do want to say, if you want to know how to tell your story, there's three steps. It's so easy. What was life like before Jesus? Number two, how did your life change after Jesus? And number three, where are you now? That's your story. Tell your story. It doesn't have to be hard. You don't have to go, well, praise the Lord, brother. Let me tell you what God has done for me. How about, hey, man, 
I, yeah, yeah, you asked, do you really go to church that often? Yeah, I go every week, and, you know, I'm really faithful there, and I serve in the ministry and all these things, but you don't know where, where I was. And you just tell your story, where you were, how it changed, and where you are, and you will, you will be shocked at what God will do just if you use your story. So get active where you are. Use your story. Tell your story. The other thing is this. Pray for people. I love this. This is my favorite one. Because wherever I go, I, I, I just do this. Um, it was funny. We were at the youth uh, shoe thing last week. And David, David and, and three other friends of mine were out in the car. David and Chris and, and Charles, our, our, our doctor friend from down in Lewisburg. And they were in the car waiting for me because I was going in to pay. And I was taking a long time. They were getting worried about my credit card or something. I don't know. But all of a sudden, I come out, and they're like, wow, what took you so long? Well, I had to pray for the lady that was serving me because she was stressing. I could see she was stressed. I'm like, girl, what's going on? Oh, I just this and that. Do you mind if I pray for you? She said, no. I pray for her, and I come back in. After I pray for her, she was like, oh, wow, thank you. You know, she felt great. I, you'd be shocked how many people are open to have you pray for them. They, you don't have to be like super spiritual. You don't have to like be anything. Just, you just showing that you care enough to pray for them, they will very, very rarely shoot you down. Even when they've shot me down, it's been like we were out to lunch one time and this lady, I was like, hey, can, we, can I pray for you? She was like, you can do what you want. I said, cool, I'll pray for you. And she walked off, but that's all right. <laughs> that's like one in a hundred, Literally. Nobody turns down prayer, unless you're really in a hurry like that lady was evidently. <laughs> if you see the need, pray for the need. But see, this is the thing, guys. The, the idea with stretch, the idea with stretch is commit to this one thing. Commit to live out loud for Jesus. Commit to not just simply go and punch your time card or go and, and check into your office. Commit to live out loud for him and to take the opportunities he gives you. Now, the last one is the hard one. The last one is heavy lifting. Heavy lifting. Heavy lifting takes effort. <laughs> I love that picture. Could they get a skinnier kid? Um, sometimes, and I want you to hear me on this, the heavy lifting part is that it takes effort to step forward in your calling. Some of you can just naturally do that. In some ways, I envy you. In other ways, I'm glad that I'm not one of those. Because sometimes we need to prepare to be able to fully step into our callings. I have a friend in Columbus, Ohio. His name is Tony Terry. He's a doctor of dental surgery. And if you saw Tony 15 years ago, he's not a doctor of dental surgery candidate. Uh, Tony grew up on the rough side of Columbus, supported by nobody. Um, his mother was barely conscious most of his life. Uh, his sister checked out. He was completely on his own, but when he graduated from high school, he was a pretty sharp kid, and he'd always done well in school. He, he went to the military, and he became a dental hygienist. 
And Tony began to realize that part of his calling, because he's also got a gospel calling, but part of his calling was to become a dentist. So he joins, um, he, he goes in and he becomes this dental hygienist. Upon getting out of the military, he goes to college. And he's, he's working full-time. He's married. He's, he's got to support his wife. And, and he's working full-time, like I said. And he's going to college on the side. He does exceptionally well. And he ends up, after graduating from college, he finally can go full-time as a student. He's going to go to dental school. And he feels like it's the will of God for him to go to Ohio State, which I understand if most of you feel that way. Um, because that is heaven. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyway, he gets rejected by Ohio State and ends up going down to uh, Meharry Dental School, the very prestigious Meharry Dental School in Nashville, Tennessee. And he graduates there with the highest honors. Ends up going back to the school that rejected him, Ohio State, to do his residency. And he was going to my church. We had been friends before, but he was going to my church um, in Columbus when he was there. And he said this to me, and it, sh- it, it shook me. He said, too many of God's people are scared to do the heavy lifting because sometimes that's what's needed to get into their true calling. Because of that, many will go to the grave never fulfilling their ministries because they were too scared to try. What is God calling you to do that is going to require a bunch of work. Right now, we've got kids leaving for college. Colin's going for engineering at Cedarville University, by the way. I said, I, or excuse me, not at Cedarville University, at Messiah. I said Cedarville last week. He's going to Messiah to study engineering because he feels it's part of his calling. His girlfriend, Matea, is going to Clarion, I believe, for nursing. Not because she wants to be a nurse, but because she sees it as being the means by which she can go and fulfill her ministry. It's not about making money for those two. It's about becoming able to step into what God has called them to. And there's a massive difference because the money part's a blessing But if that's why you're going, then that's just about you. But if you go to fulfill your place in God's kingdom, that's what we talked about in the beginning of the series. That's seven mountains. That's stepping into your place in the kingdom. That's determining to have an impact for cultural change. And that is what we're called to. Is there a cost? Yes. When I was going to seminary, the worst it ever got, I got 45 minutes of sleep one night. Because I had to finish a paper. And I, I just, I hit send to send it to my prof. I got 45 minutes of sleep. And then I had to go take a final. But it was worth it. Because God, God needed me to get that education. I'm, I'm, I'm still not sure totally why. I'll be honest with you. But he told me to. J. Hudson Taylor said this, All our difficulties are only platforms for the manifestation of his grace and power and love. 
God is calling us out of our comfort zones to make a difference. And the question, the only question is, are you going to answer? Are you going to answer? Or are you going to sit in your comfort zone and remain there? Because you can. But what would life be like if you chose to step out? What might it be like to see God use you? What would it be like to be able to go and pray for somebody and see them healed? That isn't that church. That's at your office somewhere. What would it be like to to be able to come up to me on, say, Monday with five people you've been teaching a small group to who all want to get baptized? Not because they heard the message from the preacher, but they heard it from you. And they, you call me up and say, is there any way we can get five people baptized? It's Monday, I know. Can we do it? Honey, we'll be filling up the water. Because God wants to use you. But until you decide to step out of what you know and step into a place that may be uncomfortable... He can do nothing with you. A famous saying from an admiral in the Navy said, ships are safe in port, but that's not why ships were built. They were built to sail. Where is God calling you to get uncomfortable? We are all called to get uncomfortable to reach someone for Jesus Christ. We are all called into discomfort for serving the king and his kingdom. That kingdom might come not just to us on Sunday morning, but to the earth. That's fulfilling the prayer of the Lord himself. The Great Commission is not an opinion to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. Jason Taylor said that 150 years ago. But from the beginnings, the earliest beginnings of the church until now, the missionaries, the people who've changed worlds, and I don't mean just the world, and I don't mean this massive number, I mean changed worlds, have been people who stepped out and became uncomfortable. My wife talks about it, and I'm wrapping up. I'm wrapping up here, so if the band wants to come. But my wife talks about a lady, a lady, little, little old Mexican woman who lived above her mother and her family when she was just a little girl. And that that little woman one day went up to Ellen Mack, my wife's mother, and told her about Jesus Christ. And my wife, when we go back to Milwaukee, if she sees her, she'll literally go up to her and hug her. And every time she sees her, she says to her, thank you. Thank you for witnessing to my mom. Because the life that I have now, I have because you chose to get a little uncomfortable. Who's waiting for you, people? 
Who's waiting for us? Whose world are you going to change? I don't know, but I'm looking forward to finding out. Because God wants us to step out. Today, I just want us to really look at ourselves. Watching the Olympics is pretty amazing. But I'm pretty sure it's nothing like competing in them. We can choose to be spectators of this thing that God wants to do in the world for the rest of our lives. Or we can choose to activate it. Right now, where you sit, I'm going to pray for you, but I want you to really look at your heart. I want you to really consider where you are. And I want you to determine to get uncomfortable so that God can reach somebody through you. Father, right now, we are are, are risk takers in so many areas of life. And I ask that, Lord God, you begin to pull us into the areas in your kingdom and in our walks with you that we become risk takers for you that we become witnesses for you that we Lord God spend the time to minister that we stretch ourselves to step into new things that are maybe a little challenging and that Lord if our calling requires it that we do the heavy lifting to enter into those things Let us choose today who we will serve. Because this life's too short to just serve ourselves. I ask you to strengthen your people. I ask for a boldness across the spectrum of this church that we have never known. In Jesus' name.